Meet Stacy. Stacy's on the hunt for a new pair of trendy glasses. Call me picky, but I just can't find the one. Luckily for Stacy, Walmart Vision has virtual try-on. Now she can try on hundreds of frames virtually, then upload her prescription and get new glasses delivered right to her door. Really? <laughs> yeah, really. Well, the hunt just took a turn for the better. Buy your next pair of glasses with virtual try-on from Walmart. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. Restrictions apply. See walmart.com for details. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Hey guys, Marcus here with exciting news. This show, along with your other LPN favorites, is going exclusive to Spotify on Valentine's Day 2020. Woo-hoo. You can download and listen with a free account, and all of our episodes are already over there, so what are you waiting for? Listen to The Last Podcast Network, free on Spotify. Let the word go forth. Fool me once. Are you fired up? I'm not a crook. Are you ready to go? Shame on, shame on you. It's Abe Lincoln's Top Hat, hosted by Ben Kissel. Boom, we can't get fooled again. Hey, what's up, everyone? How you doing? Ben Kissel here, hanging out with Travis Morningstar. It is 2020, Travis. Uh, We are off to another great start to another great year. Yeah, I like the way this all... (laughs) You know, honestly, uh, on Christmas, I went to Star Wars in Disney World. Very good, right? I love that new Star Wars. I thought that was going to be... Because I had an encounter with Darth Vader. You did? Yeah, you can encounter Darth Vader, which is not as sexual as it sounds. Uh-huh. But so you go into like a you go into like the Imperial base and you can meet a six foot five like man dressed as Darth Vader and he's This is this is Disney. This is Disney, yeah. Okay. And uh what they don't tell you is that you should not ask Darth Vader for a selfie because he literally pushed me into a wall when well. I asked for a selfie. He's the head of the dark side. What do you expect? Of he, course. He, he only has like 12 pre-generated, like, uh, the rebels will be crushed. He only has like so many like pre-generated things he could say. But I, yeah. I was like, hey, can I, do you mind if I get a selfie? And he wouldn't acknowledge me. And then he literally pushed me into a wall. And well, I, I was like, this is maybe too in character. Uh, but Darth Why Vader, didn't you just take the selfie? I tried to. He was, he just, was, he don't, was angrily pacing back and forth in this small room. And, uh... You know, going on and on about the mm. rebels, and I tried to get a selfie, and he he wouldn't acknowledge me until he actually like force pushed me into All a right. role. Well, you never but know. That I thought that was like the way I was starting off the new year. Well, it kind of was the way you were ending 2019. It sounds. But here we are. Well, speaking of rebels, obviously we have a lot to talk about regarding what's going on with the U.S. and Iran. Uh, there is a lot of misinformation out there right now, so we're going to try to clear a little bit of that up. We're also going to talk a bit about Facebook. Uh, I have an article, a very interesting article, uh, to discuss about how a uh, head of Facebook is talking about how he doesn't want Trump to be elected, but he also says, let's not interfere with the election. Yes. And some of the quotes are like, <laughs> what did you do last year? Like last cycle, like some of the quotes are like, yes, we have the power, Yes, but we, we must refrain. It's like you just admitted to like 
manipulating the algorithm to benefit one side or another. And of course, ironically, 2016 was very beneficial uh, to, towards the Republican Party. I would yes. say almost more beneficial, just given the clientele that Facebook tends to cater to. Also, his description of Facebook as a power in itself is very, yes. very unsettling because he describes it as the ring from Lord of the Rings. And it then, is. And then his resolution... We'll, we'll later talk about is to just sort of hold on to the ring hold on to <laughs> it why not of course they're all they're the golems of data they love data it's their precious and inevitably it will turn them into demons that are going to harm humanity we'll also discuss in exciting news for me lincoln chafee now, those that don't know Lincoln Chafee, he was a Republican, he was an independent, and then in 2016 he ran as a Democrat. So he's diversified his political portfolio, and now he can add Libertarian to the list. Lincoln Chafee is running as the nominee for the Libertarian Party, which I'm sure angers a lot of true Libertarians, uh, Libertarians who... I don't want to say any slurs regarding intelligence or mental capacity issues. Let's just say they're very focused. Yeah. When and if you're like me, you're all, you're at this moment you're going, "Oh, Lincoln Chafee, is this a character from Little Woman, Little no, Women or something?" No. I, this is a, this is a real person that it, I should be aware of, right? It's a real person. So we'll talk briefly about that, but before we get to uh, those stories, we have to talk about the biggest story of 2020 so far, which is the conflict going on right now. Uh, regarding the United States and Iran. First thing we want to do is sort of <laughs> clarify some of the miscommunication. Well, let's describe what actually happened well, over we'll, the past. Let's, let's get to that in a second. I want to clarify just uh, just briefly here what's you going on. You want to start on. at the end. Uh, let's start at the consumption of the story, sure. which, is, which is through media, social media, the Internet, and so on. One of the lies that the Democratic Party has put forward uh, and we'll talk about the lies the Republican Party has put forward as well. But the Democrats, one of the big misconceptions or one of the big pieces of misinformation that they've put forward so far is that Donald Trump is using the conflict with Iran as a way to pivot from the from the impeachment conversation. But of course, that is not true whatsoever because Donald Trump loves the impeachment conversation. His poll numbers have never been higher. And as we're seeing now with Nancy Pelosi refusing to give the articles of impeachment to the Senate, which is insane. I thought they wanted to get this done quickly. Nancy Pelosi said she's not going to give the articles of impeachment to the Senate until she knows what their trial is going to look like, until, they, until she knows who they're going to subpoena. Of course, that is not something that she needs to know that's above her pay grade the senate has no responsibility to tell her how they're going to run no, they, their uh, their their trial well, don't act so incredulous the reason she's holding back on the transmitting the articles of impeachment is because Mitch, Mitch McConnell has literally said look we're not going to we're not going to play along it's not going to be a real trial well it's going to be a trial and where then, the the you know obviously the jurors are the Senate, and we sort of know exactly where that's going to go. It's not going to split. It's going to split by party lines. They're not going to get 66 votes. Nancy Pelosi knows that. And the irony is John Bolton has said that he'll testify. Of course, John Bolton, formerly with the uh, Trump administration, a man who has never seen a country he did not want to bomb and overthrow their government. John Bolton has said he will testify if the Senate subpoenas him. But the irony is, and of course, then the Democrats are like, well, you better subpoena John Bolton. I want to hear we want to hear his testimony. The Democrats could have subpoenaed John Bolton during the House trial. 
but they didn't, which makes no sense whatsoever. I feel like Nancy Pelosi is just trying to hold on to this impeachment, uh, the articles of impeachment, as long as possible because she's realizing she put herself, uh, she is in a, she is a rock in a hard place right now because I don't believe she wanted to push forward with impeachment. And I don't believe uh, that she thought this was the best political move given the history of presidential impeachments, but she did it because members of her party uh, forced her hand and she realized if she did not push articles of impeachment forward, she would no longer be Speaker of the House. So I think she did it out of her own political survival and not necessarily using her uh, intellectual mind when it comes to what impeachment actually looks like to the American people. And as we're seeing, Wisconsin, Michigan, Iowa, you know, Pennsylvania, these key states for the Democrats and the Republicans, it's helping Donald Trump in those key states. I don't know. Maybe it might be actually a good strategy to withhold the the articles of impeachment now. But what happens then? Well, we have stuff like um, Trump assassinating a general in another country. In before, we'll talk about before, that. I'm saying there are things that are happening now between right. transmission of those articles of impeachment to the Senate and the actual Senate impeachment trial. If it was something that was so dire... Impeachment should be used when a president must be ousted from office because he's a danger to America. Obviously, uh, there are many people who believe that Trump is a danger to America, and I understand the rhetoric is horrible. He's dividing our country. If it was so dire, you don't politically hold it because there's something going on with foreign policy that may reflect poorly on the president. That's not true, but the Senate is is politicizing the hell out of this. Like it, 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 every I mean, they, day, they're every, both politicizing every day it, that the, every day that the Senate doesn't get the articles of impeachment and President Trump continues to be the president, more shit like the Iran situation happens. And it just adds to the the robust evidence that he should be removed from office. Well, I don't think the Iranian situation adds that he should be removed from office. I mean, these are things, if that was the case, then Obama should have been removed from office. W truly should have been removed from office. Basically, every president in American history should be removed from office. You know, they have Article 2 of the Constitution. Article 2 of the Constitution really gives war powers. It's a pretty broad word. It's a broadly worded article. So it really gives a lot of war powers to the president. And the idea that some of these congressmen, and again, I'm not, we're going to talk about was the killing of Soleimani a good idea or a bad idea? Because that really is a key question here, obviously. Does it make us safer or not safer? And we're going to talk about that in a second. But when it comes to his right to do it, he definitely had a right to do it. Oh, and I'm not saying that he, so this, yes, did, but he, so this doesn't tie into the impeachment it whatsoever. It does tie into the impeachment because it, it doesn't, it, the impeachment's it, already no, done. No, I'm saying it makes it. It already it the, adds it can, nothing. To, nothing can tie into the impeachment. The articles of impeachment are already okay, written. Sure, it's just Ukraine. That's it. Like all of this stuff is. I'm talking about. I'm talking about putting pressure on senators. But they couldn't even weigh that. If it it's, won't. It's, it I'm not talking to, about as as evidence, like actual like documents. I'm just talking about there is a strategy here, which is putting pressure on senators, waiting and allowing this this sort of stuff to to yeah, progress. Yeah, they don't they don't have they don't have nearly the power to put pressure on the Senate right now. They just don't they yeah, don't, I don't have I don't, it. I am not Nancy Pelosi. I'm just saying yeah. that is definitely probably a thought that is that is in Nancy Pelosi's head and the I think rest of- Nancy Pelosi's mind is currently first of all busy going to galas as all of these wealthy people do and then second of all just being like, well, at least I got to be speaker of the house. And hopefully in 2020, I can maintain this position. 
but I do not think that she's I'm I'm not envious of her position. Um, I feel like she understands that she had to do this for her party, but I know she also is very smart when it comes to politics, and I think she also understands it was futile. So when it comes to the Democrats being like Donald Trump um, went in and, and assassinated Soleimani to change the narrative of impeachment, I just don't think that's true. The Republican lie has been that Soleimani was a threat to the domestic homeland of America. That is absolutely not true whatsoever. He was a threat to Iraqis and American soldiers over in Syria and Iraq. He obviously had a lot of influence over militia groups, over Hezbollah. He was powerful in the region, and he was a dangerous character, a dangerous actor, but was a threat imminent. Were the American people in the homeland threatened by Soleimani? There's no evidence to back that up. And I think that's why a lot of people are like, did you need to do this? Uh, was this the proper step or was this over aggression? And then the media lie, as we've seen multiple times in every time there's an uptick in conflict when it comes to the United States and a foreign power, the media eats it up. Currently, they've been almost willing war upon the American people. They've almost been uh, wanting more violence, wanting more bombs. The way the media has covered uh, the attacks on the U.S. embassy, the way they attacked uh, the murder of Soleimani, the way that they attacked uh, the Iranians attacking uh, with uh, with uh, some ICBMs, the way that they've discussed the Iranians attacking uh, the uh, United States facilities with some missiles, they really seem to be craving war. And that is because at the end of the day, it is still extremely beneficial and lucrative for massive companies like Northrop Grumman, uh, like these huge, uh, you know, when it comes to uh, Lockheed Martin, Lockheed Martin stocks. If you got those, you're doing great today. Their, their, their stock is going through the roof. Ironically enough, we're in an area now where it's not the right wing pushing war, except for like Sean Hannity. But there is a cornerstone of Trump's base that is against foreign conflict. That's what he ran on. But now it seems like the left is almost participating in this process in no, a very bizarre way. I, I think not the left in particular. I mean, you have right after the the Soleimani thing. Yeah. You have like NPR doing a piece with uh, Jack Keane, who is oh the, my god, I know Jack <laughs> is the executive chairman of AM General, a military contractor that makes Humvees. Oh, and cool. So they're, and but they're not mentioning this little the the little detail of the person that they're going to for expert commentary uh -huh. is the person who is making the humvees that will be used in a war uh with iran uh so it's, it, it's stuff like that and then like new york times the the friday after this whole thing blew up their first op-ed is from michael doran who worked during the the uh the iraq invasion right. under bush and so it's these like these unspoken things but then of course you have on fox news you have carl rove wayne and you have ari fleischer you carl have, rove, you have the judith, orchestrator you have of judith the... miller who was the person who wrote extensively about the weapons of mass destruction in, in iraq the that lie. did not exist right but yeah so you have the media just sort of like it's almost like a foregone conclusion that uh that war will happen Instead of actually talking about, should we be pulling back from this and looking at this in a more sensible uh, way that weighs in lives that, that will actually be affected after after going into a conflict like that? This is where there is hypocrisy when it comes to Donald Trump 
in the sense that it is when he pulled the troops out of Syria only to replace them in Iraq anyway, there were so many people who were upset. Um, I personally was fine with it, but it seems like no one has, if you are against the pullout, then in many ways you are pro-occupation. And I don't understand how we have a time now where there are certain people who are criticizing Trump's idea and policy. And again, I'm not even advocating for it. I'm just saying it's a little hypocritical for them uh, to talk about how um, this is going to, you know, lead to another massive war. This is going to, you know, really bring the United States back into the Middle East in another quagmire situation. And at the same time, doing that in a way where it's almost a positive thing. CNN had more bluster this week than they've had in a long time. It seems like foreign policy when it comes to uh, war, these media corporations, New York Times is in there, WAPO is in there, all of these multi, all of these media corporations, all of these news corporations funded by billionaires, they all have a vested interest in fur- further engagement in the Middle East. They seem to love it. I think they, they talk about it. They think about things like ratings. Another war is wonderful ratings, and I guarantee you, just as Lockheed Martin's stock has gone up, so has the viewership of MSNBC, Fox News, and CNN. CNN could not wait to put Wolf Blitzer they in, loved in a 3D graphic where he looked like a Gundam attacking right. Iran. And then, so that that's been sort of the social, that's been sort of the mainstream media myth regarding the war. It almost seems like a self fulfilling prophecy, something that they. I'm just watching now on my phone. Washington Post has a live update of the skies, very reminiscent of 1992 when we watched in school the bombs going over Baghdad. We saw these beautiful green streaks. They never show the explosions, though. They always show when the missile comes off the, uh, you know, comes out of the cannon and it looks beautiful in the sky, but they never really show what happens. Maybe they'll show the explosion, but they'll never show the aftermath. We are so disconnected from war in this country that it makes it just another reality television show for us. Well, yeah. And it's really sad because it's destroying. Millions of people are destroyed when we do these things. So the way and I we mean, don't focus on it. The here. way that I even knew about any of this stuff happening was a Twitter hashtag. World, World War Three. Well, let's talk about that. So that's the social media myth that we're going to end up in World War Three. People are truly scared. My little brother was texting me, and I don't like it when people make my little brother scared, okay? Right. It's the same reason that I got upset with Occupy Wall Street, because they scared my Chihuahua Gidget. <laughs> I have very strange reasons for my beliefs, but basically don't scare any of the little things that I keep don't around Don't scare me. Gidget and don't scare bankers. Don't scare that, any... That's, those, well, that's you can bit, scare that, bankers. No, ben does not like to scare bankers. He does not... I don't mind scaring bankers. Uh, that That's okay, um, as long as... You're, as long as those bankers are not a Chihuahua, gotcha. That's okay. all I'm saying. All or right. my little brother. Well, I just I got my I got my people around. I got my little animals around. They need to be safe. World War Three is not happening, so please don't stress about that. It won't occur. Uh, both sides are currently de-escalating. Donald Trump has said he doesn't want to have a further conflict. Iran said they don't want to have a further conflict. This is not. This is going to be sadly, as Travis already mentioned. Uh, we were talking earlier this week. This is going to be forgotten about. Yes. In like four days. This will be. Well, we're gonna we're gonna in six months. We're gonna be like, wasn't it? Do you remember that time? Where, I swear to God, in six months, people won't even know why Donald Trump was impeached. 
<laughs> I swear to God. I, no, I no, I agree. But it is so crazy to because we long ago we no longer see war happen. We you know we are in a war. We are We're in a in forever it. war, and we don't even acknowledge that it ha- it is happening. No. But people think that somehow they're going to be drafted into this. Oh, that's another thing. There is no draft. There is no draft. The military doesn't want your ass. They <laughs> actually need like super intelligent nerd people now yeah. to just operate the drones. But I the ha- same drones that killed Solomon. I have enjoyed uh, seeing the absolutely craven U.S. Army ads on Twitter. Oh my God, they're it, amazing. It's like it's like a character select screen. I thought that I thought. Twitter was no longer doing political ads. Is this not a political uh, ad? No, no. So this was more there. I, I just happened upon uh, a, a, just a post of okay. theirs. Yeah, they're, they're just sort of speaking their mind. Uh, it's but, the cool Navy now. It, it's the cool but, army. You know, we're this, on social media it's now. It's this camera that's panning around and you can you like get to choose. You can be an army medic. You can be camouflage <sighs> guy with like swamp hair. You can be. It's just like that. Yeah, like a MAGA paladin. You can be. Great. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really crazy because that is the kind of stuff that uh that an 18 year old uh would would really respond to of course it is and that's why they prey on the youth i only would go and speak with the army recruiter to get out of math class and then they would call me and call me and call me and i would just openly make fun of them and they realized i wasn't their type but for the kids who may be looking for answers to Mm -hmm. what their future will be they're prey they're preyed upon i don't believe that college i don't believe that Army recruiters should be allowed in high schools and in college. I suppose it's a little bit different because we're hoping the maturity level is slightly higher, although that is up for a massive amount of debate. I, but at least at least you're of age. But these kids, I mean, I used to go and talk with the army recruiter as yeah. young as 15. Yeah, I was not good. I once had a, an army recruiter pull up next to me in a Dodge Charger. Ooh, you're the sexy lady, Travis. In a Dodge Charger. And then he said, hey, you want one of these? Oh, <laughs> my God. With what? <laughs> you, you're renting that, number one. Yeah, no. I mean, the thing is, where I, you know, where I went to high school you in Hinesville, it was, like, connected to the, the 3rd Infantry Division, which is a huge place where they, like, pull soldiers from. Right. Uh, and, man, the Dodge Charger was the selling factor because you saw yeah. all these, you saw all these 19-year-olds with Dodge Chargers, and then you, what you would eventually see is that they would be living in them at a certain point because they spent all their money on a Dodge Charger, and right. then nothing else, and nothing then they, else. and then they didn't realize that that's all you get. That's all you get from the from the military is that big that big uh, that entry bonus, and then you're just you're you're just living in that Dodge Charger. As we learned when it comes to making deals with the United States government, uh, oftentimes you might not be on the winning end of that contract. And in a lot of ways, they own you for quite a while, and they can kind of throw you out to war whenever they want to. And, of course, that's why um, we take these issues extremely seriously. There's now 600 more troops over in Iraq because of what's gone on these past few days. So let's talk a bit about what the heck happened here. So on December 27th, of 2019, uh, there's an Iraqi airbase in Kirkuk uh, province, right? So Iraq was attacked by more than 30 rockets, killing an American civilian contractor and injuring four U.S. service members. Now, 
this is one of the red lines that the administration has when it comes to destroying property, uh, such as what we saw with the drone being shot down by the Iranians, such as what we saw with the Iranians blowing up the oil facilities in yes. Saudi Arabia, mm-hmm. such as we, what we saw with the uh, engagement with the ship in the Strait of Hormuz. Trump is actually, or the administration has been fairly hands-off uh, when it comes to militarily going after Iran for some of their military actions because there hasn't been any American casualties. And so far, the sanctions truly are starving the Iranian yes. people. So the sanctions are sadly working. Uh, the Ayatollah Khomeini and his entire regime, they're eating just fine. Of course, the point of sanctions is knowing that the government is going to take everything that they need. Uh, they're still going to live ritzy lifestyles. So the sanctions just hurt everyday Iranians, and theoretically that is going to turn the Iranian people against the regime and well, perhaps the- lead to, a, to an overthrow. Yeah, right? which is what the U.S. government would love. Oh, but- they absolutely would. But, I mean, don't forget, there's been turmoil in, in the uh, government of Iran for a long time, ever since the Shah situation. So the U.S. blamed the Iranian-backed Khatib Hezbollah militia. That's a subgroup of Iraq's popular mobilization forces, a.k.a. the PMF. So we have this attack that happened the 27th in the Kirkuk province, right, killing uh, multiple Americans. So on December 29th, uh, the U.S. retaliated with targets. They were five Khatib Hezbollah targets. And therefore, of course, that was also the popular mobilization forces, weapon storage facilities, command and control locations in Iraq and Syria. Twenty five militia members died in that attack and 55 were wounded. So we're starting to see here the escalation of events that occurred. We have the contractor along with four other Americans killed. We have the retaliation strike, which then killed 25 militia members, injuring 55. So the Iranians got one, the U.S. got one, and now we have December 31st, 2019. A funeral was held for the Qatar militiamen. Uh, after that funeral happened, um, an angry mob of dozens of Iraqi Shiite militiamen and their supporters marched through the perimeters of the Baghdad's heavily fortified green zone. They marched down Baghdad's Kindy Street. They surrounded the U.S. Embassy compound. And this is where we have uh, what prompted inevitably the death or the murder of Soleimani. So now we have a situation where the U.S. Embassy is under attack or under siege. No one died. It really is incredible uh, that no one died in that attack or in that in that mob protest. So thank God for that. And then because of that mob protest, and of course, a lot of people chanting like down with the USA and death to America, which also when it comes to the media, they were talking about, they showed all this footage of like the regime in Iran and they were like, they're really mad at America. They're chanting death to America. Death to America is like the way they say good day, mate. That's yeah. like, that's, that's just, it's just saying death to America, to America, to America's rulers. Also, it's like, you know, to, it's basically saying fuck Donald Trump. Basically, and, and, you know, fuck America because they've been saying it for a long ass time. Yes, yeah, the, the Iranian regime has been saying death to America ever since it took power. Uh, Khomeini ever since he took power. So that was like nothing new. The fact that the media was like, I can't believe they're saying this. It's like that is just like what they say all the time. Yeah, that it's is, like somebody like, oh, oh, I discovered this cool new band, the Beastie Boys. It's whoa. like, no, dog, we've been, we've been fucking with Beastie Boys for a long time. That's a no for me, dog. 
So they were chanting, people were super pissed off, and of course, one of the attackers reportedly spray-painted, Soleimani is our leader, which seems to me a little bit suspect just because <laughs> it's quite on the nose. This is like when an old white conservative like spray-paints, I hate white people on his driveway and like blames a bunch of uh, leftist activists. It's He's, like he- when, uh, oh my God, Morton, Morton Downey Jr., when he pretended to be attacked by a bunch of neo-Nazis. Yes. And he drew the swastika all wrong. <laughs> all wrong yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, it does seem a little suspect. And of course, we also have to keep a massive open mind. Like, I do believe the protests were real. Again, given the actions of the past few days that led up to them. Is it possible that someone was there? Not necessarily, you know, for the same reasons as everybody else. And was just like, I'm going to take Soleimani as our leader because... <laughs> It's a little bit, like, again, on the nose. Um, So there was a massive fire that broke out. Uh, Marine security guardsmen and diplomatic security services, they were on the roof at this time. They had their guns. uh, And, of course, they were able uh, to leave the area unscathed, which is uh, a wonderful thing, of course. So now we have the situation where how is the U.S. going to retaliate to the U.S. embassy attack? Uh, which, of course, was a retaliation to the U.S. killing 25 militia members and injuring 55. And, of course, that was a response uh, to the Iranian-backed forces of uh, Hezbollah in Iraq killing United States citizens. So you see sort of, you know, how this this is how escalation works. This is how uh, these things occur. Nothing happens in a vacuum. So because of that, we have a situation where on January 1st, The protests flared up again. Demonstrators started a fire on the roof of the reception area, reportedly uh, prompting U.S. Marines to fire tear gas into the crowd. And the aftermath of that led to Donald Trump accusing Iran of orchestrating the attack on the embassy. And he said that they will be, quote, fully responsible uh, for any deaths whatsoever. So on January 2nd, 2020, U.S. Defense Secretary Mark Esper says the game has changed. And how has the game changed? Well, it has changed because now the United States is getting a little bit more aggressive and they have murder on the mind. Mm -hmm. Which brings us to January 3rd. This is 2020, uh, the Baghdad International Airport Airstrike. Okay, this is done with a drone, which is, again, why the U.S. military wants their nerds. They need their gamers. And now I'm a gamer, so maybe I could do. I could be a drone operator. Yeah, I'm very surprised to find out today that Harold Schechter is a gamer. Yes, as well, we interviewed Harold Schechter for this week's Relax Fit Last Podcast on the Left. He's fascinating. I think you're going to love that episode. Quite a gamer. He's into Red Dead Redemption. I love the the just the image of that happening. Is Absolutely, him and his undies having a good time. Some <laughs> cheese dip around. So January 3rd, 2020, a drone strike near Baghdad International Airport. That killed Major General Qasem Soleimani. Uh, Of course, he is with the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps. Uh, He was the commander of the Quds Force. The strike occurred amid rising tensions, of course. And then that brings us to January 7th, where we had the final retaliation from the Iranians at the El Assad Air Base. Um, They originally speculated there were 15 missiles that the Iranians fired. Turns out there was probably 20 to 24 missiles. The vast majority of these missiles, they're both intermediate and medium-range missiles. The 
majority of them messed up in the air and they did not meet their targets. No Americans were killed. There was no uh, loss of life on any level. And again, the administration's doctrine is basically not to retaliate if there's only structural damage with no loss of life. So both sides at this point, after this final retaliation, which only one of the missiles actually hit uh, the Al-Assad air base. Um, many people are speculating that the Iranians missed on purpose because they were like, if we kill another American, this thing is going to escalate. And truly, the Iranian people don't want war and the Iranian regime don't want war. They've sort of been doing this for a long time where they take us to the brink and then inevitably de-escalation occurs. I know it's always a little bit more trying, specifically in this situation with Donald Trump as commander in chief, because we haven't really seen him engage yet militarily. This was sort of the most amount of engagement that we've seen the administration have other than the 56 ICBMs that were sent to the Syrian airstrip, if you recall that. Yes. But that was basically the most amount of foreign intervention that we've seen under this administration so far. So I think a lot of people were that played into a lot of people's anxiety about like, how the hell is this guy going to handle it? Of course, given the fact that he tweets in such bombastic ways, talking about how he's going to blow up Iranian holy sites, religious sites, which that is a violation of international law. So since then he has reneged and said, Oh no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to blow up the holy sites. But the fact he even tweeted it lets you know what kind of mindset this man has. Well, and then, but he did backtrack on that because every single lawyer around him is like, that's illegal. Yeah, and so and that really plays into or that really describes the state of mind that the White House is in right now. Like the the fact that Trump would go on to say we're going to destroy 52 cultural sites. Right. And then Pompeo does the EGOT where he goes on to every single uh, show, like Sunday morning show, yep. to basically contradict but also support the president at the same time, shows how in disarray the communication lines are in the White House. And then, uh, you know, the reason that the lead up to Soleimani's death, what I thought was incredible, was military commanders present Trump with a menu of options. Right. To respond to the death of the military contractor, the American military con- right. contractor, and they put all these very uh, perfunctory responses on there, blowing up um, some kind of base, sure. uh, hitting hitting one of their uh, military crafts of some sort, and then on the spiciest option, there was like it was like mild, medium, and spicy. Right. The spiciest option was let's assassinate their uh, general. Right. <laughs> let's, let's assassinate their general, which. I don't think we have the same equivalent of person here. Like, no, we don't. That, that's a really difficult thing for people to understand. Like, we don't, David Petraeus was not no. like, on everyone's lips or like in no. everyone's mind. Like, if David Petraeus died, we would not have uh, a parade in his honor. No, we definitely wouldn't. We were talking with our friend who works in the State Department, and I believe he equated this to the level of. What did he what did he say the level was in our country? Well, he said somebody that was in the in the White House, but I was like, "No. I I mean, I, I it's not the same though. The the affection is not the I same." I think it's more of the importance, notoriety and significant power like, that they have within the administration. Like our generals have power, uh some more than others regarding the depending on the president, but it seems like Soleimani was I also think, a very popular political figure. I think our friend that was uh talking to us said Pompeo I think that's what he equated it to. And you could imagine if someone did assassinate Mike Pompeo, that is a huge act of aggression. There was a great 
tweet that came out after Soleimani's death, and it was from a, an Iranian because the name was in in Farsi, and uh, their point was, uh, "Who are we supposed to strike back at? We you don't have you don't have a Soleimani, you don't have like a a, a heroic figure." in your country like are we supposed to kill spider-man or spongebob well you can't kill either of those they uh spider-man's too fast and spongebob can take a bullet he's a sponge yeah i don't really have too much sympathy for him um but yes when it comes to retaliation i don't think we have someone as powerful as he is because of course in a theocracy they're also a military government that the military has we our military has a lot of power but at the end of the day we still have uh, someone who can listen to them and choose not to listen to them. When it comes to the Iranian regime, it is highly theocratic and it is a military operation. That is their strong suit. That is what gets them uh, their money. That is how they make a living is basically selling arms and controlling these massive militia groups all across the Middle East. But so as you were saying, uh, Iran strikes back and sort of diplomatically strikes back in a deliberately non-lethal way uh, at one of our bases. Yes, the Al-Assad Air Base. And that brings us now to today, where it seems as if Donald Trump and... Well, Trump tweeted last night, all is well. Yes, his tweet was pretty amazing. (laughs) All is well. We got this thing on lock. uh, And then this morning he comes out, and man... He was on some. He was on some like lewds or something. He very well might be. So d- Trump spoke of uh, great accomplishments, shades, and accomplishments, <laughs> and he said that uh, <laughs> we will not tolerate tolerate any more aggression from Iran. Hey man, you know he's a tired ass dude. You man, know, I, you, I, he's got a bad diet. It's hard to talk when your mouth <laughs> is full of uh, McDonald's and your heart is about to explode. But I was struck by uh, he starts the he starts the speech uh, by saying that you all should be grateful. That's literally how well, he starts how the seats. Th- it that starts is the speech. Just so it's so classic. Um, but he, then he, he needs he needs to be pampered. But then he res, you know his resolution was to uh, basically leave it at that. Uh, yes, le- and- because there was no American casualties, and obviously if there was. We would be talking about something completely different. Well, absolutely. And then, of course, the media would be absolutely thrilled. And mm-hmm. Northrop Grumman would be making bank as long as, as well as Lockheed Martin. The U.S. military, as a matter of fact, going back to what Travis was talking about regarding the theatrics of retaliation. And this was very theatrical retaliation from Iran. I believe they did not want to kill any American civilians. I believe that they truly needed to do something just to show face to their people. But evidently, the U.S. military had advanced warning of the Iranian missile attack, so they were able to clear the place out. So currently, the extent of the damage to the military base is not known. The U.S. forces, they have early warning defense systems. That gave the U.S. advanced knowledge uh, that the missiles had been launched. Uh, the official who has not authorized to speak publicly added that a hangar was damaged at Al-Assad, a sprawling complex 100 miles west of Baghdad uh, that houses about 1,500 coalition forces. Uh, the official said the early warning system worked. Iraqi Prime Minister Adil Abdul Mahadi said in a statement Wednesday that Iran notified Iraq the attack, quote, had begun or would begin shortly on unspecified U.S. military locations. The U.S. military reported the attack at the same time. So, again, this is foreign policy, the theater of foreign policy, 
playing out right in front of our eyes. When you have two people who want to be seen as tough, who don't want to be seen as backing down. It's like when you're in school and everyone surrounds two kids who are fighting. Neither of them really want to get into a fist fight. They just kind of take each other down to the ground, wrestle for a little while, make it so boring that their friends break them up yes. or just kind of go and play basketball. This, did like, feel, this is a little bit like a wrestling match where no one's throwing punches. It, it felt kind of like a bad improv show, actually. It re- they were yes-anding each were other yes and they had and no finish. <laughs> yeah, and then it just sort of ended. It just sort of ended. So one of the things I want to talk about when it comes to Soleimani is the coverage that he received. I thought people were far too sympathetic to what he was doing. Of course, he's responsible for around 600 deaths in that region. The Iranian people, there was about a million people at his funeral, but of course, the Iranian people are starving. They are not happy with the administration. One of the things that keeps them alive, just like it kept all of our grandmothers alive, is hatred for the American people or for um, the idea of America, not the American people. Obviously, when we think about this country, uh, domestically, we know, like, we've been all over the place. People are wonderful. They're so cool. But if you've never been to America and all you know is our federal government, yeah. you're not. this is not the greatest place on earth. Uh, the people make it amazing. But if you're just looking at the federal government and the foreign policy of the United States of America, I understand a little bit of resentment. By the way, if you need, if you, if you don't have a connection to Iran, we have friends that are Iranian. I had a former roommate that was a really good friend of mine. I... Uh, I had dinner with it's his a parents. It's a beautiful place. It's a, and it looks like a beautiful place. If you need um, a connection, if you need to, an emotional investment in the Iranian people, I highly recommend um, going on to Instagram and typing in Iranian Hulk uh, because this guy is massive and he's amazing. Look at this big boy. Oh, my. Indeed. <laughs> in no way is he on drugs. That man, he looks like Bane, but not the cool Bane. Like the Bane that was in um, Batman Forever, yes, that Bane, <laughs> like the green Bane. That's he's got a he's got a career ahead of him if he Persian uh, if he Hercules, can Persian Hercules, very he's cool, bigger than Hercules, absolutely. He's more of a Hulk, absolutely. But honestly, you look at this guy and you go, we really should not get into a, a conflict here. Oh no, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. A lot of those guys with big muscles can't move. That's the problem. I, I'll take a ninja any day. That is true. You want it because you, you just got to run around them a whole bunch. They're out there, and I'm a big man, so I understand. I got a lot of blind spots. Yeah. So you can take my knees out. I can't even see it down there. And you've been on uh, you've been on the edible kick since you, you're, do, you're doing dry January. Dry January, which I'm on day seven, I think. And that's been it's been great. I've been taking a bunch of edibles. I'm like a pinata of weed. It's you ridiculous. Are, you are a child in my eyes. I've been doing dry three years now. I know, but. I never had to go to the hospital because I drank too much. Well, that's I consider that an accomplishment. <laughs> you know what I do as well. So the the idea that Soleimani was loved by his country, yes, there is a lot of uh, credence to that. However, there are also a lot of people in the Middle East that are not upset that he's gone. Uh, now they have a new leader. The policy is still in place. All of that's the one thing with Soleimani is. Killing him does not end whatever plans that he had put in place. No, Of course, it's a much larger situation than just one man. However, I do think it destabilized them for a little while because evidently, and I don't know the name of this new leader, but evidently he doesn't quite have the same connections as Soleimani had worked on over the years. Sure. So it will set them back a little bit, I think, when it comes to like planning and when it comes to trust and when it comes to all of those human things that are required in order to go commit mass acts of violence. But look, I I think... The thing that we're the media and like maybe what we're doing right now too is just going right over the fact that um, 
a lot of Pompeo and and the military and everyone and Trump spokespeople have been saying is that we were facing an imminent threat. That's the lie. Nine eleven style. Like yes, absolutely. Which it's is a total lie. Complete bullshit. Yep, and, that's uh, what we tried to debunk in the top. Absolutely, and, and they and they just we're just supposed to accept that. Uh, like the, oh intel- my God. the intelligence tells us. Well, first of all, Trump has been anti intelligence uh, community from the get go, and now right. suddenly he's pro intelligence. Uh-huh. It, it just seems so like make up your mind that if you're go- if you're going to lie to us, lie sort of with consistency, uh, so that so that we can feel um, better about. You know, accepting all these lies well, that is, with a straight face. That is why we feel like we're at a teeter totter, uh, covered in spikes with this administration. Because he tweets one thing, Pompeo says another. It's that misinformation, misdirection. It's on purpose to confuse and make the American people not understand what what is actually happening. And it was, I suppose, good that Donald Trump went and spoke to the American people. The first time he's done that ever since the State of the Union. But we need more communication, and that's the problem with this White House. They don't communicate anything. They don't communicate and with each other. With each other. They don't – and I think that's why – that's what leads to a lot of uh, anxiety amongst the American people as well. First of all, we can't trust Donald Trump because he lies – he lies about anything. Constantly. So it's it's almost impossible to trust anything he says. Once that's eroded, when it comes to power, it makes it very difficult for the population that that person is in power over to have any trust in anything – uh, that the administration says or does because, you know, it's just been it's just a relationship where you've been cheated on a whole bunch. And then it's like, but it's changed. I've changed, you know, and it's like, well, I, I just can't we can't trust you anymore. But let's move on a little bit here and talk about the Democratic response, specifically from the people who are running for president yes. right now. Uh, it's been an interesting series of days for uh, for all of the candidates, quite honestly. I'm just going to throw this out there when. I believe Russ Feingold was the only senator to vote against the Iraq war. No, but Sanders. No, but Bernie Sanders was still in the House. Right. Okay. So yeah, he yeah. was in the House of Representatives. He voted against the Iraq war. Um, but I think it was only Feingold that did. But of course, now he is the only person who was in government to even vote on the Iraq war other than Joe Biden. Yes. Because uh, um, obviously Elizabeth Warren wasn't there yet. So Biden voted for the Iraq war and Bernie Sanders can confidently say that he was against the Iraq war. He has the voting as, record to as show he it. should. And I think that his response to this, uh, to these actions taken, I think his response has been the the most trusted, going back to that term trust, because of the voting history and because of his consistency on foreign policy. Honestly, I think the only response that wasn't absolute drivel, pathetic, just completely pathetic. Well, it's just really hard when Joe Biden is talking about uh, what Donald Trump should do when Joe Biden is talking about he needs authorization from Congress, which, again, in this situation, he really wouldn't. But the Obama drone war was horrible, <laughs> horrible. So this man voted for the Iraq war, that he voted for the continuation of violence with the uh, with the Obama drone war. And you can just see the debate already happening when it comes to if it's Biden versus Trump. This is one of those winners for Trump because he's sort of right now the. The, the Trump Trumpism yeah. in the Republican Party has taken away the anti-war mantle yeah. from where it truly should be, which is where the Democrats are. So in a, when things become like primarily focused on military stuff, it seems like conservatives get to be James Bond and then right. Democrats are like Q. 
and or like uh, Republicans become David Hasselhoff, and then Democrats are like Kit, you know, just like right. sir, we can't run over these Iranian children, and then David Hasselhoff is just like gun it and right. just fucking kills it, it, it. We Democrats get to be like the quarrelsome little like bureaucrats, like well, did you actually fill out the paperwork? To uh, bomb this city, yeah, the things that don't resonate with the American Whereas, people. Like, because Trump, no one... even even if he's completely wrong, Trump gets to be heroic, or like you know, he gets to act like a a, a maverick or something. Absolutely, and it's just. But the Democratic response overall, uh, Nancy Pelosi, number one, she responded well at a dinner, and there was a photo, and it's like it was just so out of touch, um, because these are really serious issues. I mean, obviously, we don't have an escalation going on right now. We're not going to have another ground war. I just don't see that happening in a very, very long time. It's just not worth it. We've learned that the hard way multiple times. We need to be taking these things very seriously when it comes to loss of American life and when it comes to our military and what we're sending them to do. And I just feel like her response was a little bit shallow and a little bit hollow. And again, the one that resonated the most for me was Bernie Sanders. Yeah. Because... For me, I think he was the... It really shows if there is like a good sort of silver lining um, from this whole thing, this whole Iranian conflict, I think it has made so clear who is the most viable candidate for 2020 as far as the Democrats are concerned. And we can get to some polling data in Iowa right now. Bernie Sanders is up in New Hampshire. Bernie Sanders is up as well. It's around 35, 33 and then about 20, uh, 33 for Biden and about 22 percent for Warren. It looks like Warren is kind of taking a bit of a hit. And we'll talk about her response to these actions here in a second. Warren seems to be taking a little bit of a hit. And those people who support her are going over to Bernie Sanders. It Mm -hmm. seems like that's sort of the flood of uh of voter support seems to be going from uh, from elizabeth to bernie her response to what happened over these past what seven eight days nine days uh has a little it's been a little bit scattershot it's been a little bit shotgun like she, the, the shotgun that dick cheney used yeah. to, to shoot his buddy in the face it's a little bit pepper why, why don't we get cheney's opinion on the iran thing oh i would love to hear it i did yeah but no i i think uh what we're fine prison what the emotion that i'm having is oh um you know because i i liked warren uh, i still like warren uh, and again my, in a binary choice but, i'll support warren yeah sure but my my emotional response to this is if you don't unequivocally uh refuse war then I don't want you to be the candidate. Like if you, right. if you, if your stance is an unequivocal denial of let's not, we're not going to go to war, uh, then then really I don't care. I don't care because uh, she she just hemmed and hawed like everyone else. And Bernie Sanders was the only one who said straight up. And I don't know if you saw his video where he's walking down a hallway. Um, yeah, I did see basically it, yes. to like M and M's lose yourself. Yes. It was amazing. Well, you told me about it, and I went to watch it because <laughs> I had to. Um, but if if your stance isn't just completely no war with Iran, uh, then I don't I don't care. Absolutely, uh, there's just absolutely zero zero benefit to going to war with Iran. Now, Iran, because we don't live in the region, we don't see the full effect of what an angry Iran looks like. It is very possible they start to target soft targets. Uh, perhaps in Israel. Uh, there is some danger here in the Middle East that we're, again, because we're so separated by uh, just land and uh, ideology, we don't really fully understand what an aggressive Iran would look like if they did decide 
uh, to do acts of uh, well, if they, it'll be it'll be small acts of violence again because they have their they franchise. Yes, so they they have a terror franchise. They basically. like to do proxy stuff. Proxy and wars. And if they really want to step into the role of axis of evil, like like Bush uh, declared them to be. They have a lot of resources to make the world a really fucked up place. And, of course, currently they do not have uh, a nuclear weapon, but they have said they're going to accelerate that program. Do they have enough money to do it? How many years are they away from doing it? Uh, That's up for debate. Doesn't seem like it's going to be happening overnight. And that brings up why are we here as well, not just the micro of why we're here uh, regarding the death of the U.S. civilian, regarding the uh, retaliatory attack uh, regarding the other retaliatory attack and then regarding the final retaliatory attack uh, hopefully of the conflict but we're here because the trump administration tore up the iran deal yes. that is one of the main reasons why we are now currently in this position and when it comes to bringing the iranian people to the bargaining table we're gonna have to give them a little bit of sugar to make the medicine go down and currently the trump administration has not wanted to give them anything. There's new sanctions now put in place. They have not wanted to relieve any of their economic strife. They have not wanted to free up uh, any resources for the Iranian people. So unless we do a compromise, then there's not going to be any deal in the near future because the Iranians, at the end of the day, human beings are looking out for their own self-interest, and they're going to need to get something from us in order for them to change their behavior. This relationship between the U.S. and Iran is going to remain icy if Trump continues to be in office because with the speech today that he... It was all kind of fluff. It was non, It was nonsense. Yeah. Um, but what he did say, what he was trying to spin was um, any help or any aid we give to Iran, anything we give to Iran, they will turn against us. They... Trump made a point to say, like, the, the, the missiles that they fired at us were purchased by us. Uh, so he's really trying he's really trying to create um, a wall between between Iran and the U.S. And, of course, that is because uh, the Obama administration did give a lot of money to the Iranians. Uh, it's baked into the Iran deal. But when it comes to, like, we paid for the missiles, I mean, <laughs> what? No, like, that's not really – it's a bit of a uh, – it's <laughs> no, yeah. it's, it's a bit of a simplistic way to think about it, but you're right. That's been one of the lines coming from the administration and coming from uh, advocates of what the policies have been so far. So it's it's very interesting. I do believe we're done with it. I think we're done with it. We're done with we it. We just got a bit of a taste as to when the media wants to bring us to war. Um, and now, of course, in the context of social media as well, so many people really like Upset, truly emotionally upset, and I do blame the media for that. Um, Even when it comes to their coverage of what happened in Iraq regarding the parliament, uh, voting to say, hey, we want the Americans out. It's a non-binding order. Uh, The Iraqi government is still pro-U.S. It's still our government that we put in place over there. So that would never even happen. It's symbolic. So, you know, but the way the media covers it is the Iraqi government has just voted to kick out all Americans, but it's not it's not true. Uh, it's a, it's basically just it's like when you say I love you to your parents, but you don't mean it. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> um, it's just it's, it's very shallow. It's a very shallow resolution. That's all. I love my parents. Um, well, I think we're <laughs> I think we're getting the red light, you know, a little bit to like maybe I think you should leave uh, from from Iraq because of this but I mean yeah it, it was just a non-binding resolution 
But um, maybe otherwise, I, I'm not sure because we're still we're still protecting a lot well, of the old <laughs> facilities over there. It's just not honestly the if, whole thing is such a if the conflict escalates though, it's like Iraq becomes the battle proxy. the battleground proxy war. Iraq Iraq is going to be the Vietnam of another Middle East war. They know it because it's sort of already been trampled on, and they're like, why make a new field? We've already got this one. And they know that, and that would obviously that's that is one of their largest concerns. There, there is so something so like very indescribable about being awash in the the news of this situation and not having any control or or input. Like to to watch media outlets push the pro war stuff, it's just and then feel the the sort of the lurch of of all these events without having any control over it. It is really. Uh, it's like existential nausea inducing. It it is absolutely disgusting, and never forget, uh, they'll benefit greatly from war. Uh, many corporations will benefit from war. We have a whole economy based on human suffering. Uh, when it comes to our private prisons, when it comes to our foreign policy, when it comes to our military industrial complex, there is a whole bunch of money. It's just it's scary to see somebody like Sean Hannity. Shoot, calling the shots, looking into camera and saying to no one in particular, quote unquote. Oh, I think so. Um, here are the three Iranian sites you should strike. Right, and right. And then having no real, having no control. And you'll also notice that Donald Trump tends to tweet news out during Hannity's show. Yes. Um, and then Hannity takes it live, uh, uh, which is quite interesting. Did you did you see? Uh, it, you, you haven't seen Bombshell. I did not see Bombshell. I lived it, though. You lived it because you were... I was there in 2016, 2016 when all the Gretchen stuff was going on, Gretchen Carlson. So you grabbed Gretchen. You grabbed... All the, no, oh, no, no. I was, okay. just, I was just an editor. No. I was not... I was not... Priv- I never got to go to the big floors. They never let me in, although I did see Sean Hannity taking a dump, Bill O'Reilly, because there is... There's no private <laughs> bathroom, so I've, I've been with them taking... Well, they were taking dumps, and I... It's a surreal moment. Democracy dies in darkness. It really so does. You, you need to see that stuff to, yeah. to really to be shook out of it. Bill um, O'Reilly running to the bathroom is one of the strangest moments of my <laughs> life. It's really true. It's, well, honestly, it's crazy. So Bombshell, I liked it, but there is one moment in it. It's like four seconds, and I gasped. I was you What know, happened? I, I was only one of four people in the theater to see the movie. I, I don't think it's I, doing that it, well. it itself was a bombshell of a, of a movie. Right. Um, I gasped when... The characters, they're like, oh, but you know, O'Reilly wants this, or O'Reilly, and then they they go to like O'Reilly's office, Bill O'Reilly's office, and you think you're about to see like a bad imitation of him, or maybe they don't show him at all. Like, what is the? It's just right there on the 15th floor in the corner. And they the camera spins around, and you see Bill O'Reilly. Really, Bill? Well, I was like, is that Bill O'Reilly? It is so. Spot on. Really? It's this actor named Kevin Dorf. And he Lucky guy. I think he's wearing okay, so I think it's a combination of prosthetic, like movie monster makeup right. and CGI. Because well, he he's looks, a big guy. He's my height, Bill O'Reilly. He looks so much like Bill O'Reilly, and it's just for a really? second. Because in the they they really the movie does like say we think we did a good job with this because they also show clips, like actual footage of Bill O'Reilly in the movie. Yeah. And then they show Kevin Dorf playing Bill O'Reilly huh. and it is like it's like a Gollum Schmeagol kind of thing wow. I'm like holy cow well, that what a dream could, come true that for could Dorf. very well be Bill O'Reilly like they got his jowl just right mm. the he it's it's amazing I would say watch Bombshell just for that four second 
flip of the camera. Well, I think I've spoken about this when I was uh, doing Red Eye on Fox News. This may have been 2015. Bill O'Reilly, he would he would shoot his show on the same floor in the studio on the other end of the uh, floor. And as soon as he would come in, he had his own makeup people. Everyone had to, like, leave the green room. And he had his own makeup people. Was, it was because he had sexual harassment suits against him by, like, everyone else in makeup. So he had to have his own crew. Everyone had to leave. He was truly an angry, angry man. You could <laughs> feel it coming off of him. The interesting thing, Sean Hannity... He comes across as much nicer, um, which is so weird because then, of course, he goes on TV and says horrible things. Tucker Carlson, the exact same way I was watching him the other night, he just referred to he called um, immigrants that were born here uh, legally, but whose parents were not American citizens. He called them all anchor babies. And I'm like, I thought it's not even like I hate the word offensive. It's just hurtful, stupid and wrong to refer to human beings as anchor babies. It's totally ludicrous. It's it detached just, it's, from the actual human realm. They to, don't to do live. That. They they live in Jersey or D.C. They come in. Their experience in New York is Midtown on 6th Avenue and 47th Street. That's all they That's do. It. That's it. They live in a sheltered lifestyle full of cash. And not to give them any excuses whatsoever. They know exactly what they're doing. And they know exactly who they're placating and talking to. But it's just like. But it's strange. You can make you, this argument. You can actually talk about. If you want to talk about. Um, children coming over here, uh, being born on U.S. soil as their parents are not uh, U.S. citizens. We can have a conversation as like, how do we nationalize them? Like, how do we how do we move the process along? But to refer to them as anchor babies and demand that they lack that they lose citizenship. We're just moving backwards on immigration. And that's one of the things when it comes to the Trump administration and the Republican Party, I will never be able to square. I will never be able to square. Tucker Carlson was talking about anchor babies like recently, like a couple yesterday. Of days ago. That really seems like he's phoning it in. Then, like, it's I crazy. Mean, that seems like anchor he, baby. he picked up like an old cue card or something. It's re- it sounds like yeah. It's just it's just classic Lou Dobbs nonsense. Um, yeah, the immigration is just, and, and we should, we'll talk more about in, uh, immigration coming up here in 2020, and we'll do some interviews and stuff like that because we cannot lose sight. Well, I do want to talk one of the most marginalized groups in the country, which is, of course, non-U.S. citizens. We talk about privilege all the time, wealth privilege, race privilege, uh, gender privilege, economic, uh, you know, uh, disparity and things like that, location privilege. But when the biggest privilege of all is being a U.S. citizen, and we need to get these people through our system, documented, so we know who they are, they can start paying taxes, they already do in many cases, and they can continue to add to the wonderful fabric of America. But speaking of the fabric of America, it has been eroded by a certain corporation. I think you could we could say this corporation may uh, have a lot to do with the current tumult and um, anger that we're seeing in our country. And of course, that corporation and entity is Facebook. Yeah, and it's like, huh, is uh. Is Iran the, the the big threat to America, or mm. is is Facebook really what should we should be concerned about? I would I would uh, venture to say Facebook as, and Twitter are more of a threat to as America. As the year progresses, than they're going to be a giant threat to uh, like our existence. They are. So Travis and I are referring to Andrew Bosworth. Uh, he is one of the executives at Facebook. He says, "quote He desperately wants Donald Trump to lose, but then he said the company." should avoid hurting Trump's campaign. So let's just talk a little bit about this story because in the quotes, 
he recognizes how much power Facebook has, and he recognizes perhaps they had some influence in 2016 that was unintended when it comes to helping Donald Trump get elected. So this is Boz. The Boz. The Boz. He says in the memo, um, as a committed liberal, I find myself desperately wanting to pull any lever at my disposal to avoid the same result. Right. So what stays my hand? I find myself thinking of the Lord of the Rings at this moment, specifically when Frodo offers the ring to Galadriel, and she imagines using the power righteously at first, but knows it will eventually corrupt her. As tempting as it is to use the tools available to us to change the outcome, I am confident we must never do that or we will become that which we fear. So he's calling Facebook the ring, um, the one ring, um, and he says it's too powerful. It will corrupt anyone who who, uh, possesses it. So in a way, he's saying Facebook is too powerful and we should not possess it. But also, um, let's do that. Yeah, maybe we should. So this was in a 2,500-word post. It was titled, Thoughts for 2020. He goes on with the Lord of the Rings analogy. He says, uh, talking about the ring and giving it to someone, specifically when Frodo offers the ring to Galdoril. Galdoril? Galadriel? To Galdoril. I think it's Galdoril. And And she imagines using the power righteously at first, but knows it will eventually corrupt her. As tempting as it is to use the tools available to us to change the outcome, I am confident we must never do that, or we will become that which we fear. I just... I I just read that. Yeah, I know, I know. But that is, like, such a obvious... Like, that is just so obvious that Facebook is doing exactly what all of us have known that they're doing. Yes. And he's just completely admitted everything that Facebook has done in order to corrupt our democracy, in order to alter our elections, in order to change people's viewpoints, create a more hardened society. People just go and listen to the information they want to listen to because the algorithm of Facebook feeds you what they think you want to hear because, honestly, they probably know you better than you know yourself. And we have a situation now where this man is blatantly explaining how Facebook can alter elections using a Lord of the Rings analogy. That's 2020, baby. And so then another thing, well, Trump also recently came out and said that he met with Zuckerberg at a dinner, and Zuckerberg kept saying to him, this is according to Trump anyway, you're number one on Facebook. Oh, (laughs) isn't that nice? That's what Zuckerberg kept saying to Trump, apparently. You're number one on Facebook. I want to (sighs) to let you know you're number one. On our site, you're number one. Number um, one. That's great. But then, so this, this, there's this other weird thing that that came out recently. Um, so Teen Vogue is actually like a fairly um, progressive site. Uh, I can believe that. They, they actually have come out with some pretty progressive takes. And yeah, it's, it's dedicated towards teenage girls. Of course, it's going to be progressive. But uh, so there was recently on Facebook, Teen Vogue published and then deleted an uncritical story about Facebook the story was how Facebook is helping ensure the integrity of the 2020 election. Oh my God. So, <laughs> uh, at first this, st- it really, it looks like, uh, any kind of glossy spread in a, like a fashion mag. And it, it's, it, it's a bunch of like colors of Benetton, uh, models like, uh, and it the, the article itself is very laudatory of Facebook and how it is sort of, uh, upholding integrity for for the upcoming election, but then that is such dog shit. But then, uh, you know, it was somebody noticed it. Some tech reporters have noticed it, and uh, uh, it the tag of sponsored content was added to it. 
oh. to give it a little bit of uh, a little bit of like, oh well, no, it's actually it's you know we Facebook has meant to say this, uh, and then the tag was removed, and then now after enough people have said, what is this? The post is deleted completely. Good. That's probably for the best but, because Teen Vogue got in a little over their head there. Um, the the dark corners of Facebook that allow I mean this kind of stuff must happen so much. Oh my god. Where lies are just put out as truth and then All people the time. and people are just eating it up. And it's just so funny to see Teen Vogue cuz cuz then when Teen Vogue was reached for comment on Twitter, they said we literally don't do not know what this is for or how it got posted. So Facebook well, is like putting well maybe I mean you know who honestly knows? honestly it's probably a part they of They probably some, got paid a bunch of money. It's probably a part of some ad package they didn't see that they that Facebook can literally That's probably talk the on case. their behalf as if they're puppets. But my god, I, That's so funny. Uh and of course when it comes to social media a lot of people believe it to be addictive. I completely agree with that. However, Bosworth again that's the executive over there at Facebook. He says the idea that social media is addictive. He says, quote, that is wildly offensive. It's offensive to him. Wow. He says uh, the comparisons of Facebook uh, being addictive to to nicotine and like sugar. He's like, that's deeply offensive. And I'm like, I think it's more addictive. Well, speaking he goes of- on to say that it's up to people to monitor monitor their own intake. But the whole point of addiction is that people don't. Well, and like going back to the Lord of the Rings um, analogy Lord of the Rings is kind of a story about addiction and it really does it, you know for for Boz messing up that analogy in to make himself look like a villain yes uh, he is correct it, Facebook is like the ring in the sense that oh it is it will it will corrupt with addiction it will it like absolutely will and he goes on to say uh, regarding the whole point of addiction he says um, if you want to eat sugar and die die in early death, that is a valid position. He goes on to say, my grandfather took such a stance towards bacon, and I admired him for it. And social media is likely much less fatal than bacon, um, which I don't even know why we're uh, – the analogies don't really work. It is not bacon. Um, I'm also not addicted to bacon. I don't stare at bacon four hours a day. I would eat it. But it's a totally different thing well, to equate a social media site with the with an addiction to quote bacon. It sounds like your grandfather just loved bacon, and it's a very good thing. As a former addict, it does sound like you are addicted to bacon. The way you are, I'm cutting back on bacon because <laughs> okay. I love pigs. I am. I love pigs. No, it's good. My, I, I'm proud of you. My puff bear was hanging out with a pig upstate New York, and it's just uh, they're so damn cute. Yeah, I'm gonna get some pigs one day. Yeah, no, I I, I applaud that effort. Thank uh, you. Thank you so much. But when it comes to Facebook, they also use the same lie uh, that a lot of other media corporations do. And these are the massive corporations. They talk about a war on journalism. They talk about a war on information and news. The The irony of all of that is, of course, there's more information now than ever before. There's more news than ever before. This whole idea that there's a crackdown on media or on a crackdown on news is just not true. That's Donald Trump. Uh, he's When he talks about the news and all that crap, um, he's referring to, you know, television news and it's not like, like we're not, we actually live in a, in a society that has a lot of news. Um, so I don't think that people have to be so concerned about the war on the war on, uh, on information. I think in a strange way, we probably have too much and we there's have, a lot we of have misinformation. so much that it is very easily, uh, manipulated. Well, it's up to you. And we, I've talked about this before, like you're an aggregator of your own information you're like the editor of your own life 
Yeah. And you kind of have to piece it all together yourself. Well, this is an interesting, actually. is why some people become incels. Some people become, you know. Not not asking you to endorse certain publications. What are some of your sources? I love The Intercept. Yes. Glenn Greenwald is awesome. Politico is great when it comes to statistical analysis. Um, the Hill has a lot of really good wonky super like insider Washington minutia stories. Gossipy. It's gossipy. Yeah. The Hill is like yeah, the Hill is like TMZ in a way. Yes. But much nerdier and quite not not quite as exciting because no one's killing anyone with a car or dying of a drug overdose. So occasionally both of those things happen in politics. But so political, the hill, the intercept. And then really just try to have an open skeptical mind when if you're going to watch television news, realize it's all one hundred percent opinion. There are very few times they even offer up a fact. Like, I don't get much of my news from television at all. Occasionally, you'll get, like, a tidbit here or there. Um, Like, for example, when we were talking about Bernie Sanders, I did hear someone on television saying, and I cross-checked it, that Bernie Sanders was in the House of Representatives. Mm. Like, at first, I was like, I think he was a senator. And then someone said that. I was like, oh, no shit. So I I looked up. So there's there's, like, little tidbits in there, but it's all opinion. Just like this show is opinion, but we I think we give more information on this show than the vast majority of television news programs. So you just be open-minded to different news outlets and also just be very skeptical. What's their motivation? What aren't they mentioning? Um, for example, again, going back to the Soleimani thing, they showed all of the people crying in Iran, but there were a lot of people celebrating in Iraq and Syria. They showed footage of that on different news outlets being like, hey, people are celebrating they are editing a story that they want you to see and it's not necessarily the idea of like it being the whole truth it's not even possible for them to do that and they lie by omission fox news cnn msnbc it's all lie by omission because if you watch fox news donald trump's the greatest they highlight everything that's good and then vice versa and that's why all of these people are complicit in if you're getting your information from television news you are you're going to you're just doing yourself a massive disservice but again, it's I like to watch television news because it connects me to people. I yes. feel like it's like, oh, this is kind of nice. Well, My friends it, are on it, TV. It puts you on a level playing field with everyone, too, in the sense that it's the thing that reaches people the most. So yeah. it's sort of like, OK, I know where you're coming from, or at least where you think you're coming from. Uh, if you watch TV news, which I don't watch a lot of TV news. But if right. you, if I imagine if you are just consuming TV news right now, you must think that we're like going to like nuke Iran or something oh, they, at this point. They, they, you know, pay attention when you watch news to the sound effects behind uh, the the words that they're talking. Like Wolf Blitzer, he starts off the Situation Room <laughs> and it's just like an episode of Law and Order. The music bumps in the background. If you it's hear like, the Game of Thrones soundtrack as yeah. somebody's describing the Iranian conflict, that is uh, somebody trying to drum up a more dramatic situation yes. than actually exists. It's totally counterintuitive to good journalism. I also like webs. Uh, like I also, I'll read Reason. Reason yeah. is 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 uh, good. They have their perspective. Obviously, that, that that's going to be the libertarian perspective. But much of what they say is uh, is good. And then, of course, some of it you're going to disagree with. Uh, of course, Wapo and New York Times they can have some solid reporting as well. It's just there's so many because we live in an opinion based news culture. There's just so much where it's like, I get your opinion, 
And oftentimes what journalists do now is have an opinion and then they create the story yeah. as opposed to looking for the story and forming an opinion. And it makes it uh, well, it makes it very biased. Wherever you get your news from, I think the most important thing is that you get a diversity of voices so you can know. Absolutely. Because if you are, if you are um, sort of countering uh, opinions against each other, you're going to come to some kind of truth about what is happening in the world at least sort of absolutely and of course the good conversations which you know some people say how can you be friends with someone with, with a political ideology that's different than yours and as we've talked about on this show as long as their outcome is good as long as they want uh, peace or um whatever racial freedoms or whatever they're uh, not you know civil liberties civil liberties yeah as long as they want those things uh then we can come to those we can come to that in many different ways um, and so it doesn't necessarily demonize because so, for example, there are people who believe that no one should go to prison for marijuana. That's what we say. No one should be in prison for marijuana use. Now we have two different ideas, legalization and decriminalization. But the outcome is the same. No one wants to. We don't want anyone in prison for marijuana. Right. And the question is, is decriminalization the way to go or is uh, legalization the way to go? Of course, legalization, it's going to. It's going to go to the highest bidder. It's going to go to an anizer bush of weed. It will be mm -hmm. it'll be a true Budweiser. And mm -hmm. then, of course, the decriminalized. Uh, you're going to continue to see people not have to pay taxes. You're going to continue to see people uh, being able to, you know, run their marijuana enterprise as they see fit. And, of course, we're also talking about trying to give licenses to the communities that were most devastated by the war on drugs. So I understand that aspect of decriminalization as opposed to legalization because it seems to me like it's going to be extremely difficult once all of the money comes into play to actually kick back to the communities that deserve it the most so you know that's an example of like two different ideas same outcome right you know um so when it comes to those things like we can have a robust debate if someone is just a clansman then it's totally different or someone is just like i want all white people dead i want all black people dead all chinese like what no okay we can't deal with that but you know when it comes to true actual like uh policy points there can be many different ways to get there and as long as the end goal is good then it's totally fine you know who uh recently shared their vision of goodness who kevin spacey kevin what i i know everyone's dying everyone that he molested is dying so yeah his one of his accusers recently died by Ag suicide again yes isn't this the third one but do you remember right before we went on a break I mentioned the original Kevin Spacey Christmas Eve video where he talks about. Uh, let me be frank. Do you remember this? I, of course, I know that. Yes. So I do you. Did you happen to see? On I saw the other one, December twenty fourth of this of this last. Yeah, he's doing it every year now. It is now a Christmas tradition for yes. him. And he literally names the the video "Killing Them with Kindness." I know. I, I saw the whole thing. It's creepy. It's I, scary. It's some of his best work in a strange way. I joked that "Let Me Be Frank" too was coming out in Christmas. Oh, buddy, we also joked about Murder Flip House, and that's now a television <laughs> now. show. Every weird thing we've ever thought about that we're like, that should never actually happen for society. But it's kind of funny to think about. It's just happening. We get now Is it our every, fault? every year. We're gonna get. There's going to be a collection of Kevin Spacey Christmas videos where he mocks his accusers. 
Oh my God. All right. Well, just lastly, Lincoln Chafee, the man who wants to take us to metric, he is running with the Libertarian Party. A lot of people are wondering why he's running. Uh, of course, Libertarians tend to take from Republicans. There are some people who don't know why he's running. Uh, however, there's a chance that former Republican and current independent congressman from Michigan, Justin Amash, might want to take his desire to tussle with Trump to the Libertarian Party convention floor. So it looks like maybe this is like Lincoln Chafee. Um, okay, and again, Lincoln Chafee is a real person, not a character from a limerick. No, Lincoln Chafee. Oh my God, no, Lincoln Chafee's been around forever. He is uh, He is the former Rhode Island Republican senator from 1999 to 2007, and then he was the governor of Rhode Island from 2011 to 2015 as an independent, and then in 2016 he ran, ran as a Democrat, and I don't think he ever got over 0% of support. Because, again, he wants to bring us to metric, and a lot of people, we don't even know, we don't even know, what do we have now? What, the our standard of measurement? Yes. Uh, we don't even know what that is. We don't know what that is. <laughs> so how the hell are we going to go to metric? I count everything in feet. In feet? Yeah. yeah. What's that called? This is the dumb portion of the show where we try to figure out something that we all know the answer to. Wait, isn't the UK like imperial and then we're metric? No, we're metric. Yeah, no, we're, we're not metric. We're not metric. Are we metric? Hmm. I think he wants to bring us to metric. That's where the rest of the world is. Here, I'm going to do it right now. Okay, we're going to find this out for you, folks. Because if we don't know... The customary system. The customary system. He also says, this is what he had to say. He says, I'm a, uh, this is Lincoln Chafee talking about libertarians. He says, I am enthusiastically, absolutely dedicated to not getting into these quagmires overseas and ending foreign en- entanglements. Uh, he goes on to say he wants to curb the 226 trillion dollar debt easier said than done what do we got travis uh it's well it's it's actually called the u.s standard it's, it's just called the u.s yeah, standard yeah yeah i guess that's why it never came to mind but it's the just, u.s but the but the rest of the world is metric uh yes the international the imperial measurement yeah i'm not really like a measuring guy <laughs> <laughs> no. no, that's not the point of the show. We don't talk about. We don't talk about. I certainly, like duct wasn't, tape wasn't or looking. Anything. I'm not. I've like I've never stared too much at like a ruler or like a no, gradu- I hate like him. a graduated cylinder. Like none of these things uh, are in my purview. I totally agree, and you don't need it. What's you know in my purview? The word purview. There it is. I love it. Okay, everyone. Well, hopefully this broke down a little bit more information for you all on what's been going on this past week. Please follow. The Iranian Hulk. Follow the Iranian it's, Hulk. It would it would boost sort of like uh, sort of. I don't familiarity. know if this man needs any more boosts. I think he's like a scary person who probably does horrible things. No, he's he's a delight. He's not a delight. He's scary. He has four hundred seventy nine thousand. Yeah, you know. So how many did Cosby have? I actually don't even know if he was on Instagram. He might have gone away before that. Um, all right, everyone. Thank you all so much for listening. Hope you have a wonderful 2020 so far. I hope you've had a wonderful 2020, and I hope you have a wonderful 2020. And we will be here the entire year letting you know our thoughts on uh, the 2020 election. It's going to get exciting. Again, next week we'll have some more polling data. A lot of information coming to light now. February 3rd, uh, Iowa, New Hampshire. A few other states right around the corner, and we are going to know a lot more information by then. Usually, the person who wins Iowa wins the nomination, although not all the time. Sometimes we see outlier candidates uh, who focus extensively on Iowa, and they're able to pull off a victory, uh, and that does give them some momentum. But for the most part, if you win Iowa, 
uh, you've got a hell of a shot of winning the nomination. So February 3rd, uh, get out there and vote if your state has a primary. And, um, yeah, we're going to have a lot more information then. So far, the polling data looks good for Bernie. He seems to be rising up a little bit. And Biden is staying steady. And Elizabeth Warren is a bit on the decline. But a lot of things can happen. Oh, God. I mean, before we go, have you seen the... Did you see that she and uh, Julian Castro were in Brooklyn last night? I know that he endorsed her, which well, they had a fine. rally, yeah, together. And uh, watch the video. There's a there's a she does a big reveal at this rally. What is it? And then the big reveal, double selfies. Double selfies. Her and uh, Julian Castro were going to be in uh, selfies together. That was a that was a huge announcement at this rally. <laughs> the double selfie. Um, well, so she's go, folksy. So vote, so vote for Bernie. Well, vote for whoever you want. I don't give a shit um, because that's not what this show is all about. You vote for you vote for uh, whoever you can sleep voting with. Um, whoever you can sleep with. Yeah, whoever you can sleep with. Which again, vote Bernie in that vote case because what a what a nice berry man. Uh, good good Have you old seen smooth Bernie? Brooklyn Bear. Oh yeah, yeah, I've seen I've seen the M M&M and M Bernie. It's pretty hip. <laughs> Yeah, Elizabeth Warren, you know, she's just, she's a little folksy. Dub, double selfie, man. Double selfie. Well, that could get her to, that could get her into the White House. Yep. Um, all right, everyone. Thank you all so much for listening. Hail yourselves. We'll talk to you soon. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Everything is changing so fast. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load. But now with the Xfinity 10G network, you can power a house full of devices at once with ultra low lag. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Meet Stacy. Stacy's on the hunt for a new pair of trendy glasses. Call me picky, but I just can't find the one. Luckily for Stacy, Walmart Vision has virtual try-on. Now she can try on hundreds of frames virtually, then upload her prescription and get new glasses delivered right to her door. Really? (laughs) Yeah, really. Well, the hunt just took a turn for the better. Buy your next pair of glasses with virtual try-on from Walmart. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. Restrictions apply. See walmart.com for details.